Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? I'm Nat. I'm Jack. And I'm Esteban. <laughs> Today we have a very special guest. It's my very good friend Esteban, and he will be presenting on healthcare around the world, right? That's right, yeah. Talking a little bit about different healthcare systems across the globe and especially something that's like relevant to the United States as well, so. Wow, exciting. Yeah, so I guess um, we can start at the very beginning for people who don't know sort of what a healthcare system is. Uh, just doing some basic research and sort of my own background knowledge. Uh, so a healthcare system really comp- is composed of really three things. And so first you have providers or medical providers who are actually providing your care. Uh, the second is really the population of the people who are taking advantage of that care. And then three is really insurers or who's paying for your health care. So those those three things really make up a comprehensive health care system. And I guess something off the bat that people might be familiar with seeing on health insurance cards are the abbreviations HMO and PPO. Um, so in the United States, we have those two abbreviations for insurer providers. If you've ever seen HMO written on your health insurance card, it, it really stands for Health Maintenance Organization. So they actually cover your care by integrating with private providers. So an example is like Kaiser, an insurance company, but you still you pay them the premium. Um, and they sort of like give you a set list of doctors that you can see. But if you don't see these doctors, you have to pay out of pocket for your care. And then the other sort of big insurance type of company in the United States is a preferred provider organization or PPO. Um, so you still get that list of doctors that you can try to see, but your flexibility is greater. So the list isn't mandatory um, and the insurance would still cover a portion of it if you do decide to go to a physician that's really not on their list of of doctors. So those are really like two of the big differences in the insurer types that we have in the United States and what composes our own healthcare system. So it's just a a brief introduction. When do you get to decide which type you have? Is it just based on what your employer chose for you? Great question. Yeah. And I I think it's really based on what your employer is willing to pay or help pay the premium for. Uh, So I think it really depends on employer, but also, I mean, if you're self-employed or even unemployed and looking for health insurance, um, these are two two different types that you might see. So what is Medicaid under? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. Medicare, Medicaid is actually something that we can get into a little bit in the future uh, of, of talking together because that's almost like an completely different model of providing healthcare. So these are really like insurance companies provide care, right? Uh, and pay for it. Sort of the connection between the people and the providers. But Medicare and Medicaid are, are sort of related directly just to the government. So the government is the one actually paying, not the insurance company. So yeah, I mentioned uh, the book, The Healing of America by T.R. Reid. If you look up T.R. Reid on YouTube, I mean, he's a great sort of um, speaker about healthcare systems across the globe and, and really sort of helping you gain a better perspective of what you think is the best choice for America going forward. But he started one of his recent videos that I watched with a quote from 
a president who won election and the quote goes, um, a nation as prosperous and successful as ours must guarantee the health of all of its men and women. Safeguarding healthcare for every American is not a sentimental wish. It's a matter of justice. And you may think that that sounds like a presidential candidate that should have been in the running really recently, but that was actually said by Woodrow Wilson in 1912 um, in his election for president. So it's like not uncommon that Americans have sort of been vying for a healthcare system that covers every single person in trying to recognize that it's sort of a moral dilemma that everyone deserves access to healthcare. But there are a series of different associations that have sort of hindered that over time in history. I mean, one of those um, has been really the American Medical Association wanted government sort of separate from healthcare back then. And so it sort of snowballed into what we have now, a little bit more of that separation. All other rich countries in the world provide healthcare for all of their people. So everyone is covered, but they spend half of what we do in the U.S. Um, and so the unanswered question is really, why has the richest country in the world never made the commitment to provide healthcare for everyone? I and mean, I think that's what a lot of voters who um, prioritize healthcare as one of their, their main voting issues today in the United States um, is worried about and wants to know more about. Um, so I guess I can go over an overview of sort of T.R. Reid's models and explanations because it'll help explain a lot about how other rich countries around the globe are dealing with healthcare systems. Um, but I guess to start off is the U.S is definitely sort of on the top in terms of strengths with, uh, we're able to provide the best medical education in the world. We have some of the most innovative scientific research and development of new therapeutics in the world. And we have some of the best equipped hospitals, but we are spending tons of money on healthcare. And obviously there needs to be some sort of change going forward for our healthcare system to be able to pay for people who are also left out of our system. And so I guess I'll go over four models. And if you guys have questions, I hope I, I'm able to answer them. Uh, but I can also sort of give a little brief history of um, where these models come from and sort of the countries that are utilizing these models. Really, these models focus on two main categories. So really, it's who's paying for healthcare and who's providing healthcare. Um, and so in one of the first models that that's spoken, it's termed the Beveridge model. Uh, and William Beveridge was uh, a British man. Uh, and I believe that the history here is that uh, Winston Churchill, after World War II, actually employed Lord William Beveridge to investigate sort of social services for the United Kingdom. Based on his investigation, they decided that it was the government's responsibility to cover everyone in health care. So it was decided pretty early on for the United Kingdom. Um, and the Beveridge model, to summarize, it's, it's universal health care coverage that's financed by the government. So they are the ones who are paying for it. I guess what a lot of people stereotype as socialized medicine. So it's really... It provides universal health care coverage for every single person living in the United Kingdom, but it's it's financed by the government um, and the government owns uh, everything that's provided for people. So they own um, the physicians and all the other things that go with providing health care for these people. Um, and it's financed by the government through uh, tax payments and other heavy uh, leverages. But the British people are very happy with the system. So. This is actually a model that's used in the UK where it was sort of invented and, and sort of kinked out. And then also in other countries like Spain and New Zealand have sort of adopted this more um, socialized medicine, which actually I think a lot of people stereotype that like all of Europe has socialized medicine, right? Uh, but if you're thinking about that stereotypical socialized medicine, I think this is definitely found in the UK and they term it uh, the National Health Services who provides all of that. So under the beverage model, 
how does that affect the wages of medical workers? Because one of the main arguments I hear against mm. socialized medicine, as Americans like to put it, is that it would decrease the wages for healthcare workers. So what does that look like mm. in the UK? Yeah, great question. So like what I know from um, just some background reading and, and talking to, to friends in the UK. So I, I, I lived in the UK for a little bit and got to experience the, the NHS. But something that they, they have struggled is, yeah, salary does come down for specialized areas of medicine. So something like, I don't know, a neurosurgeon is paid much less in the UK than they would be paid in the United States healthcare system. Um, I know that there's, this is an anecdotal story, but I know that sort of in history, I mean, every country struggles with providing family care physicians. Um, and the way that the UK has done this is that they've decided to pay family care practice physicians in the UK more. So I believe like their workforce is made up of over 60% family care practice physicians who make twice of what a specialty doctor would make. I mean, with this control by the NHS, they've sort of been able to change um, what types of physicians people want to be in the UK and practice as, um, but has also sort of covered that shortage for them. Um, so I think when you have a system where the government is running both payments and sort of providers, uh, they have so much more control and regulation over um, how they want to switch the, the dynamic instead of it being very slow and sort of like this free market type of exchange. Um, I have a question about just like European healthcare in general, because so I know like because of Brexit, like England is like no longer part of the EU, but part of the EU isn't their healthcare. <laughs> isn't it also like if you live in the EU and you visit another country that's in the EU, isn't your healthcare covered if you need to like go to the hospital in another EU country? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I don't actually know the answer to that. But I mean, um, I, gu I guess I can share a personal experience of just going from like the United States to the UK, um, not within Europe exactly, but... I essentially just paid a health surcharge fee um, when I sort of, I guess, immigrated to the UK for school. Um, and the health surcharge fee was not that much money. It was $1,200, but I was covered in the NHS system. So, I mean, if I had um, come down with something very severe, like breaking my leg in a bike accident, I would never receive a bill for that by the NHS. And it was all covered by just that international surcharge fee that I paid for health insurance to be covered for the year that I was there. Wow. That's uh, also something that my friends in, in the UK sort of are always shocked about when I talk to them about like co-pays. My friends are like, what's a copay? I I never pay anything for healthcare. So, I mean, it's, it's covered by the government. Yes. And with that, they've had to cut a little bit for costs and things like that. So they do have to make some, I guess, harder decisions later on about who can receive what type of care or what type of care is necessary for someone to receive. So another story that I have from a, a friend who's in Britain um, is her, uh, her wisdom teeth are growing out, but because they're not causing her any pain, the NHS doesn't cover wisdom teeth removal. Um, so until they start to cause her pain, the NHS won't step in to pay for that. Um, and so there are like various other things that they control and decide to pay for. TRE talks about a really funny one. The British healthcare system covers the Viagra pill. And Viagra is like a very expensive drug in the United States. And so everyone's wondering like, okay, if the NHS is pressed for money. Why are they covering such, uh, I mean, a drug that seems like a luxury or, or something that you would pay out of pocket for. But they're very proud that the inventor of Viagra was British. So they right. sort of take like that, uh, that additional so pride. Funny. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they have control over what they're willing to pay for and who can receive the care. Uh, but... It's a little bit always sort of a, a tug and pull balance there. Well, we're talking about the UK and sort of the beverage model. I, I can talk about some statistics. So sort of uh, health outcomes of what their system provides for their people compared to the US. So in terms of healthcare spending per person in 2018, the average um, 
British person spends $4,070 versus the average person in the United States is spending $10,586. So we're spending more than double of what people in the UK do per person uh, with our, our different systems. Uh, and then if you want to use another metric, there's healthcare spending by percent of GDP. So total GDP of the country in 2018 in the UK, they spend about 9.8% of their total GDP on healthcare. And in the United States, that's much, much higher at 16.9% in 2018 when, wow. the, when that was last calculated. Um, also, health outcomes for people in these systems, uh, there, are, there are huge differences. Life expectancy at birth in the UK in 2017 was on average 81.3 uh, versus the United States around 78.6. So you have a huge uh, difference in life expectancy for people. Also, the infant mortality rate per 1,000 births, which is sort of a measure of how well the system is doing um, for people there, uh, in the UK was 3.9 in 2017, and in the US it was 5.8. So we have a much higher infant mor mortality rate um, in the US as well. So you, you do see that they're spending nearly half of what we spend in healthcare in the United States, but also having at least comparable or even greater health outcomes than we are. And just to summarize, I mean, it's a service you use and you never get a bill, but you are paying it through higher income taxes. But again, if, if people want to argue and say like, oh, I don't want to be taxed more, healthcare spending per person that, that statistic sort of brings it the reality that people in the United States, maybe you're not paying it more in income taxes, but you are paying more out of pocket for drugs and for procedures that aren't covered by health insurance companies or even um, a different thing that you're covered by, like Medicare or Medicaid. Um, and so I think that's where the discussion starts with that sort of argument. The way that, that people pay for it, if that's a question uh, that you guys have. <laughs> uh, so the more money you earn, of course, the more taxes you pay and the better you contribute to the system. And like I mentioned, some some services are paid out of pocket, like dental, eyes, and some prescription drugs. But these costs are still low compared to the U.S. So um, I think the statistic was that they still pay 57% less than the U.S. in sort of these terms of healthcare, in terms of providing this this sort of healthcare, so for dental mm -hmm. prescription drugs. And then again, most of the general practitioners or family practice physicians are contractors with the NHS. So they kind of contract with the government and uh, establish contracts with how much they can earn for their services. So the government sets that price list of how many patients they see and what they pay um, these healthcare uh, physicians. Um, and I guess just to end there with the UK, there's very strong support for the NHS in the United Kingdom. And I think all British people are, are very proud of their system because they think they know that it works better than the US is. Uh, they really don't know what it's like to just get a bill for healthcare because it's something that they use as a service um, provided for everyone. Must be nice. Also, can you define NHS for everyone? Yeah, I'm so sorry. That means the National Health Service. So that's uh, what, what Britain has termed, yeah, their healthcare system. Oh, okay. So that's just Britain's healthcare system is what they call it. Just okay. Britain. Yeah, the NHS. Mm. Wow. I can't imagine like never having a copay and just like you just walk out of the hospital. <laughs> that must be so nice. I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was from I think like NPR Life Kit and they were saying like this is how you negotiate your way out of a medical bill. And there's like a whole system of how to do it and all these terrible stories of people who have been slammed with like a hundred thousand dollars in bills for like emergency surgery and i was like we shouldn't have to have this discussion anyways this shouldn't be something as part of the life kit yeah. from npr that you need to know yeah it's it's really crazy and i think um i mean i'll get into talking about sort of health insurance companies and in other Europe european countries around the world but like they are different from the ones we have in the u.s because here in the U.S., like, you can still have a health insurance company deny your claim. So they can say, like, oh, I'm not going to cover that. Like, you got treated for it, but I won't cover it. 
Um, and in elsewhere, in other richer countries, like there's regulation where insurance companies can never deny a health claim. So they have to pay you back even in a certain amount of time or your premiums free the next month or something like that. So there's just so much more regulation, I think, even in health insurance companies in other in um, other richer countries around the world. This has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That? If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube, at How Did We Not Know That? If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know. We thought so, too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening, and see you guys next week.